Welcome to First Importance, the official podcast of the preaching and teaching ministries of First Baptist Church, West Memphis, Arkansas. Our prayer is that you will be blessed and encouraged today by this message. Well, I thank the Lord for rails. I go into some churches and they have three or four steps. I looked, make sure there's a rail there. And if there's not, I wonder how I'm going to get up the, on the platform. I envy our pastor that just walks up these steps. But my prayer is that he'll be here long enough for he has to use those rails. And I do greatly appreciate the fine words he has to say about me, and I'm very humbled by that, Josh, and thank you so very much. Well, this is Senior Adult Day, Recognition Day, and so I want to try to address that a little bit. I read from Paul's last letter that he wrote, and the last letter that he wrote to Timothy. And here's some of the final words that he said. I charge thee therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ who shall judge the quick and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom. Preach the word. Be instant in season, out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with all longsuffering and doctrine for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine but After their own lust shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. And they shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned into fables. But watch thou in all things that endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist, make full proof of thy ministry. For I am now ready to be offered, for the time of my departure is at hand. I've fought a good fight. I've finished my course. I have kept the faith. Henceforth, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give to me at that day. And not to me only, but to all of those that love his appearing. This is what may be called Paul's epitaph. It's what if he had tombstones in that day, He'd probably won't written on his tombstone. I've fought a good fight. I've finished the course. I have kept the faith. And so looking at this particular day, first of all, I want to have a charge to the younger folks. Now, I'm not sure just how young you ought to be. Timothy was probably close to 40 years old when Paul wrote this letter to him. And... uh, He was probably near 40 when Paul said to him, let no man despise thy youth in the first letter that he wrote in 1 Timothy. So I don't know exactly how old you ought to be to be be uh, called one of the younger uh, group of this congregation. But, uh, you know, the AARP seemed to always be lowering the age of retired folks. They ought to be raising the age, you know because people live longer and and, uh, the 60s are now the 40s that used to be and so I don't know how young you ought to be but I'm talking to those who are younger than me and that's most of you. (laughs) 
But there's a charge to the younger folks. The charge that he made to Timothy. And the charge that he made to Timothy in this last letter that he wrote is really stated in chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. Thou therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus, and the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. The charge that he made to the younger folks the charge that he made to Timothy, and which is applicable to all of you younger folks, is to be faithful. Faithfulness in difficult times is the charge that he gives to Timothy. He says, be faithful of that which you've heard of me. Paul was his teacher, and he had taught him, saying, what did Timothy hear from Paul that he is to be faithful to? And not only is he to be faithful to it, but he is to teach others also to be faithful. That cycle that God intends to be repeated over and over again. Faithful people teaching other faithful people who shall be able to teach others also to teach others also. Aren't you glad somebody was faithful that brought the gospel to you? And now that it's brought the gospel to you, you are to be faithful to that. But I'm speaking particularly to those who are in the younger generation and what did they what did they hear of Paul they heard of Paul how what they are to believe that's the doctrinal content of the Christian faith in fact you find a great emphasis in first and second Timothy and Titus on doctrinal truth the intellectual content of the Christian faith the truth content of the Christian faith Christians should believe something and there are those doctrines that are false and they're those doctrines that are true and we're to learn the doctrines that are true and we are to be faithful to them. Timothy had heard from Paul how or what he was to believe. Timothy heard from Paul how he was to live. Let everyone that all the name that named the name of Christ depart from iniquity he said and Paul warned about the moral Breakdown of society in chapter 3. This know also that in the last days perilous times shall come for men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, a breakdown of morality in society. And Timothy had heard how Christians ought to live, how he ought to live. And my dear Christian friends, you younger folks, you're not, to, you're not to base your behavior, you're not to base your ethics on the consensus of modern public opinion. It's on what the Word of God teaches you. That's how you're to live. And Timothy had heard from Paul what he was to do. Now Paul's service to the church was a preacher. And he urged Timothy, preach the Word the instant in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and doctrine. And it seems to me that, the, that T Timothy was going through one of those out of season times. And he may even wanted to quit because in the first chapter he says, stir up the gift of God which is in thee by the putting on of my hands. And it seems to me that the fire was burning low in Timothy's life and he was to stir it up that it become hot again in his service. 
Now, most of you, in fact, very few of you, are not preachers, but you have some place of service in the Lord's work, and therefore you are to hear the words of the apostle as he urged Timothy to be faithful in doing what God had called him to do. And so I tell you, younger folks, be faithful to God in your calling, in your service to the Lord. And he gives a motivation as to why they're to be faithful. Now keep this in mind. The things that you've heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. You know, I, I taught Brother Josh's father. Brother Bob taught his son Josh. And then I had the privilege of teaching him. And now, Brother Josh, you have the charge to go on teaching that which you have heard among many witnesses. And therefore, there are those in this church who have the same charge of, of putting in your children and your grandchildren and your children and your friends the truth of God that they might teach others also. And there's a motivation for it. In this, in this text, Paul mentions two motivations for Timothy to be faithful to that which he had heard from him. Number one, because of the forsaking of truth that's so common in society. The forsaking of truth. He said there'd be those that will not endure sound doctrine, but they would heap to themselves teachers having itching ears and following the lust of their hearts. The forsaking of truth in society today. I have some statistics to share with you this morning. Did you know that two-thirds of Americans ages 18 to 35 doubt the existence of God? Did you know that the millennials, now we have a way of describing various generations. The baby boomers are passing on the millennials are ages 23 to 38. Almost two-thirds of millenniums are not sure that God exists and rarely, if ever, attend church. Even the millennials that grow up in church are leaving the church by the age of 23. Only 65% of Americans believe heaven exists. Only 55% of Americans believe that there's a devil. There has been a shocking 20% decline in weekly church attendance in the last 40 years. And only about 20% of Americans attend church regularly. 37% of Americans claim to be born again. They have a born again experience, but only half of them hold to biblical doctrinal truth and rarely attend church. Regular church attendance has dropped from 70% in 1960 to 20% today. Two-thirds of Americans favor same-sex marriage and 71% of Americans see nothing morally wrong with having sex before marriage. I'm telling you, folks have itching ears today, younger folks, you younger generation in this church, people have itching ears today. 
They do not want to follow sound teaching today, but all the more reason why you ought to stick to the truth and continue to teach others also what the Bible teaches about what to believe, how to live, and what to do because of the forsaking of truth. And there's another motivation for you younger folks to be faithful in the charge that God has given you because of the passing of older teachers. Paul says, Timothy, preach the word, be instant in season, out of season, for the time of my departure is at hand. I'm going off the scene, and now you are to take my place. You are to teach others as I've taught you. And as I've observed, I've lived long enough to observe a lot of passing teachers. You know, in my Christian life, I've had eight pastors. Yes, I've had eight pastors. Seven of them have departed, and only one is still living. We older folks are going off the scene. The time, Paul says, my de- the time of my departure is at hand. I don't want to say my departure is at hand, but I would say my departure is near. <laughs> I'm going off the scene. And there's my young pastor still remaining. And then there's his younger congregation still remaining. And because we're going off the scene, there's a motivation for you younger folks to be faithful to the charge that God has given you. I think about those mentors in my life, those individuals that I looked up to and became examples to me. There's my favorite preacher in Baptist life, W.A. Criswell Gone. My evangelism teacher in seminary, C.E. Autry. Some of you may not know that name, but he was Mr. Evangelism in the Southern Baptist Convention for years. Now gone. In my college and seminary career, I had three favorite teachers in various areas. I had a great English teacher at Southern Baptist College. Now gone. Mr. Wharton. I had a history professor at East Texas Baptist University. Mr. Beasley, now gone. And I had a New Testament teacher in Southwestern Seminary that I admired so much and learned so much from, Curtis Vaughn, now gone. And so many of my colleagues, the starting days of Mid-America Seminary that we supported one another, Dr. Gray Allison, his brother Phil Allison, Dr. Roy Beeman, all gone all gone. They have departed. And then this group of people that you're honoring today, many of us, our departures are near at hand. And because of that, because of the passing generation, because of the older people going by the way of all flesh, the younger folks are to be faithful to the charge that God has given, faithful in what to believe, faithful in how to live and faithful in your service to the Lord, the charge to the younger folks. And then I bring a challenge to the aged. I use the word aged to the old people. You know, uh, Paul referred to himself as the aged one. And Paul probably was not quite 70 years old 
when he wrote these last words, the time of my departure is at hand. He was probably pretty close, not too, too much beyond 60, when he wrote to the little, little book of Philemon, and there he referred to himself as the aged. Paul, the aged. Paul, the old man. And so I'm not sure just what age to call you, aged or old, but Paul called himself aged when he was in his 60s. And there's a challenge that he makes here when he, gives, he gave us this epithet. I have fought a good fight. I've finished the course. I've kept the faith. Henceforth, there's laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give to me at that day. And because, my dear brothers and sisters, we have reached that group of people called the senior adults, doesn't mean that our work is finished. In fact, <clears throat> many great accomplishments have occurred when folks were in their older years. This, uh, this author of the series, uh, A Little House on the Prairie, Laura Ingalls Wilder, she published her first book when she was 64 years of age. Ben Franklin, that great man of American history, signed his name on the Declaration of Independence when he was 70 years old. Colonel Sanders established the Kentucky Fried Chicken Restaurant at the age of 65. And probably you don't know Anna Mary Robertson Moses, sometimes called Grandma Moses. She was a painter. She took up painting late in life. In fact, she was 75 years old, and because she could no longer sew and crochet with her fingers because of arthritis, she took up painting. When she was 75 years old, she painted over 3,000 paintings and began selling them for 2 or $3 a piece. And then later on, in later years, one of her paintings sold at auction at, for $1.2 million. But she started painting when she was 75 years old. Abraham was 75 when God called him out of the Ur of the Chaldees to go into a land that God was going to give him. Moses was 80 years old when he heard the voice of God in that burning bush, and God commissioned him to go back to Egypt and be the deliverer of the Hebrews from Egypt. And Caleb, you know Caleb? Caleb and Joshua, Caleb was one of those two spies that Moses sent over to look over the promised land and came back and he and Joshua gave the report of faith where the ten said we can't take the land. And then after Moses died and they got to the promised land, the land that was allotted to Caleb was a mountainous land that was occupied by enemies. And at the age of 85, Caleb came to Joshua and said, Joshua, give me my mountain. At the age of 85, he was able to go and take over that mountain. Yes, a lot of things have been accomplished by those who've reached our age, and I want to encourage us and challenge us as Paul gave this epithet, I have fought a good fight. I have finished the course. I've kept the faith. Henceforth, there's laid up for me a crown of righteousness. You see, my dear peers, we have a battle 
to fight. Even at this age, we have a battle to fight. Now, some people may be surprised that the Christian life is a battle. But other places in the scriptures, Paul makes reference to the warfare in which we are to be engaged. In that great passage in Ephesians chapter 6, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness and high places. We have an enemy to fight. We have a battle to fight. And we're to continue to fight it as long as we live. Now, we are to fight that battle because it's inevitable. It's inevitable when you became a Christian, however young you are, were when you became a Christian, and however old you are now as still a Christian, that battle is inevitable because there's a war going on. There's a war between two kingdoms that's present, has always been. There's the kingdoms of this world, which is headed up by the God of this world, the prince of the power of the air, which is none other than Satan or the devil. And then there's the kingdom of our God, the kingdom of our Christ. And you see, whenever you were saved, you once belonged to the kingdom of this world. And God took you out of the kingdom of this world and put you into the kingdom of Christ. And when he did that, you immediately became a soldier you became in a conflict because these two kingdoms have never and will never coexist peaceably. They're always in conflict with each other. And since you are now a part of the kingdom of Christ, that warfare in which we are to fight is inevitable for each one of us. And thank God he's given us protection in that warfare. And he has given us a powerful weapon Paul's made the reference in 2 Corinthians. He says, now we do not war after the flesh, for our weapons are not carnal, but powerful unto God. Thank God, even though we have a battle to fight, and sometimes, sometimes we might even get wounded. In fact, there may be some wounded soldiers here this morning that's in this group that I'm addressing. You fought the battle for a long time and somehow you've let the guard down and the flaming, piercing arrow of the enemy has pierced through you and you've fallen in battle. You've been wounded. If that happens to be you, I've got good news for you. There's healing available for you. There's a bomb in Gilead and a physician there and the great captain of our army never shoots his wounded. He always heals them and puts them back into battle. So if you've been wounded in battle, however old you are, there's healing available for you to continue to fight as long as you have breath in your bodies. We're, we have a battle to fight. And secondly, a challenge that gives, I give my peers is that we have a race to finish. I have finished my course. That's an athletic term. There was a race that Paul was running. He did not necessarily say, I have a race to win. He said, I have a race to finish. It's a wonderful thing to finish. 
I don't know whether those of you my age, I know the younger folks would not remember this at all, but I remember the Olympics in 1968. There was a runner in the marathon by the name of John Akwari. He was a runner from Tanzania. And in that marathon, he fell and became wounded in Mark Mile number 12. Uh, wounded in the leg and the hip. And you'd think that he would fall out. But he kept running. And after everyone had crossed the finish line, he was still running. In fact, he was over three hours late for the, for the winning runner. And the sun had begun to set whenever he crossed the finish line. Only a few people were in the stadium at that time. And when the press heard that there was still a runner on the track and about to finish the race, the press went out to interview John Akwari. And they asked him, why? Why did you continue the race, wounded like you are, hurt like you are? And he said, my country did not send me 5,000 miles to start the race. They sent me to finish the race. And I want to say to my dear older colleagues, my senior adults, I don't know why we use that word senior. Maybe it's because we're about to exit. You know, you get to be a senior in high school, that, that's your last But I want to say to the senior adults, God didn't save you just to start the race. He saved you to finish the race. And my challenge is that when we come to the end of the way, oh, I, may, I think I can see now. I think I can see the finishing line. I think I can see the finishing line. I'm not going to drop out. I'm going to go to cross the finish line. And I want it said of me, I've finished my course that God has set for me. And then another challenge. We have not only a not we have not only a race to finish, not only a battle to fight, we have a charge to protect the truth. I've kept the faith. Now, that word kept has to do with guarding, protecting. It's not faithfulness in something, but it's guarding. And I try to emphasize the fact that, <clears throat> that the Christian life has a truth content about it. And uh, in our day of, of no absolutes, we don't like the concept of doctrine. Since if, if that turns you off, let me say teaching. Teaching. Truth, truth, there are principles. And here Paul says, I have kept the faith. Now, when you read the Bible, you need to understand that faith is used three ways in the scriptures and the context has to determine which is which. There is saving faith. We're saved by faith. You enter the Christian life by faith. And there is living, sustaining faith. And then there is the truth content of the Christian life, which is called the faith that's once delivered to the saints. 
And here the Apostle Paul has this in mind when he says, I have kept the faith. There is a deposit of truth that has been given to me, and I've guarded it, I've kept it, and I've protected it. And I can say at the end of my life, I've kept the faith. And so, my dear senior adult peers, as long as we have breath in our bodies, as long as we can be active in our service to the Lord, there has been a faith that has been delivered to you. And through the years, you have kept it, you have protected it. Now I charge, I challenge you, as long as God continues to let you live, let's keep the faith that at the end of our lives we may say with the Apostle Paul, I have kept the faith. And then finally, there's a crown to be received. Henceforth, there's laid up for me a crown of righteousness which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give to me at that day, and not to me only, but to all of those who love his appearing. A crown to be received. I don't know it's been such a long, long time since I've sung it and heard it sung. When the battle's over, we shall wear a crown. It's a part of the hymn of Isaac Watts. And the verses go something like this. Am I a soldier of the cross, a follower of the Lamb? And shall I fear to own his cause or blush to speak his name? Must I be carried to the skies on flowery beds of ease while others fought to win the prize and sailed through bloody seas? Are there no foes for me to face? Must I not stem the blood flood? Is this vile world a friend to grace to help me on to God? Sure, I must fight if I would reign. Increase my courage, Lord. I'll bear the toil, endure the pain supported by thy word. And when the battle's over, we shall wear a crown. Yes, we shall wear a crown. Yes, we shall wear a crown in the new Jerusalem. Wear a crown, wear a crown, wear a bright and shining crown. And when the battle's over, we shall wear a crown in the new Jerusalem. There's a crown to be received. Don't forget that. Don't forget that. But only those who fight the fight to the end, only those who finish the race, only those who protect the faith will be able to receive this crown. But there's a little motivation. Not to me only, Paul says, but to all of those who love his appearing. I'm telling you, my dear Christian friends, if we love the appearing of Jesus, we're going to fight the fight. We're going to finish the course and we're going to keep the faith. I wonder if there's anybody here this morning who's not in the same army that I'm in. I wonder if there's somebody who's not in the same kingdom that I'm in. 
I've been talking to those who are part of the army of God. There may be somebody here who's on the wrong side. I was preaching a Bible conference in the Cumberland Mountains of Kentucky. And seating ready to be prepared for the service, two men came in, sat behind me, and I was sitting on the front pew. And one of them came over, sat beside me on the front pew, and he said, did you, did you notice the man that came with me? I said, no, not particularly. He said, well, don't look back, but he is a general in Satan's army. I didn't really know what he meant by that. I knew that there were some Satan churches in the area. Maybe he was a leader in one of those churches. But I preached about the warfare that we're engaged in, and I'm glad to say he switched sides that night and became a private in the Lord's army. And there may be somebody here that's in the wrong army, in the wrong kingdom. And I want you to know through the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ who died for our sins, who was raised the third day, who lives today. He's our captain. He's our general. And if you'll believe in him and trust him, he'll take you out of the kingdom of the darkness and kingdom of this world and put you into the kingdom of light, the kingdom of our Christ by faith in Jesus. And there may be somebody who needs to do that this morning. And I urge again the younger folks who saved to take serious this charge. And I encourage all of those who are in my age category to meet the challenge that Paul gives as an example in his own life. Would you bow your heads now with me in prayer? Thank you for listening to First Importance. It is our prayer that you have been blessed by this podcast. We welcome you to join us in person for worship at First Baptist West Memphis on Sundays at 1045 a.m., where our desire is to love God, care for one another, and share the gospel.